If you have your Bible with you this morning, uh, you can turn to Zechariah chapter 2. Continue our series in uh, this prophetic book uh, that probably we don't read too often. Last week uh, we saw the beginning of Zechariah's visions from the Lord concerning uh, the things present, things to come, how uh, those things were at a peace in uh, that among the nations that had so cruelly oppressed the people of God uh, that one day uh, they would be brought low and uh, that they would be brought before the justice of God for the disaster that they had inflicted upon the people of the Lord. And this morning brings us to Zechariah's uh, third vision that he received from the Lord that evening, uh, uh, which uh, was supposed to, it's supposed to be a message of encouragement for the people and an encouragement to us as believers. Zechariah chapter 2 verse 1, And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls, because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord. For he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we thank you for this word of prophecy concerning events, uh, many of which are still to come for your people. But we thank you uh, for that word uh, that there is a place for Gentiles. That we uh, from the nations have been able to join ourselves to you through the person of Jesus Christ. That you have made us your own. You have grafted us into your people. You have given us salvation through your Messiah. And we long for the day of fulfillment. When your son returns again. When your people, uh, uh, the, uh, the Jewish people, look on him who is pierced. When all of Israel is saved as Paul anticipates in the book of Romans. Because we know uh, that if their alienation is our salvation, that their inclusion will be life from the dead. And we long for that day. For this we pray in your son's holy and precious name. 
Amen. This prophetic vision uh, focuses on uh, three main things. Uh, The first is the Lord's protection of His people. Secondly, the Lord's provision for His people. And third, uh, the right response to how we should respond in light of the Lord's working. Lord uh, gives uh, Zechariah this vision. The first thing he sees is a, a, a young man uh, who, who's uh, given uh, this task to measure Jerusalem. And most commentators are agreed uh, that this young man is representative of uh, the Jewish community uh, who has uh, re- returned home, as it were. Uh, and they're in the process not only of rebuilding uh, the temple, but they're also in the midst of trying to rebuild the walls. Uh, Just uh, months before this prophecy was given, uh, there was hesitation on the part of people's God. A Haggai, who was a contemporary of Zechariah, prophesying at the same time, dealt with the objections of those saying uh, that the time to rebuild the temple had not yet come. Uh, There were many among the Lord's people saying, hey, look, we need to get these walls built first, and then we can build the temple. Let's build our homes. Let's get everything in our normal basic life settled, and then we can worry about serving the Lord as he has sent us back here to do. And this vision is, again, a corrective of that attitude. They have this understanding that they need to protect themselves and that what they're going to do is basically rebuild Jerusalem exactly as it was. But God is showing them that they have too limited a vision of him and what he has promised for his future. This young man, notice in verse 2, it says that he is to measure Jerusalem to see what is present tense, its width, and what is its length. He is looking at what it is now, uh, the old Jerusalem's outline, not to what God is going to do with it in the future. And so these angelic messengers come with the message for this young man basically telling him his vision for Jerusalem is far too small. Verse 3, And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And and, and this is a a word of prophecy that's a fullness has not yet come. Uh, There was partial fulfillment in the time of Zechariah and onward. But but this vision of a Jerusalem overflowing with people, overflowing with livestock, such that it did not have walls has not yet come. This is a word of prophecy concerning things to come, uh, things that, that will come when Messiah reigns, uh, when all the scattered people of God are gathered in. But the Lord in the midst of this prophecy points to the protection of his people. Here they are, they're concerned with building the wall, thinking that the wall is their greatest need, that they need to be safe and secure before they worship the Lord. And the Lord tells them, verse 5, And I will be to her a wall of fire around. 
Lord is saying, I I will be a protection to you greater than any protection that you could come up with yourself. And that's just as true today. The safest place is to be with the Lord and to have Him in our midst. Uh, There is no better protection than the Lord. Uh, Like uh, Luther says in his hymn, a mighty fortress is our God. He is our rock. He is our refuge. If our lives are hidden in Him, if our security is found in Him, there is no greater security out there. Not only that, the Lord promises a a restoration of what the people might have thought was impossible. I will be the glory in her midst. Solomon's temple, uh, the presence of the Lord filled the temple like a cloud. During uh, the wilderness journey of the people, the uh, presence of the Lord was in their midst, a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud during the day. Uh, And the people of the Lord would have been very tempted at this point of time and thought it's never going to be the same again. Especially in light of uh, how much they had lost uh, when the original temple was destroyed. Now, if you read your Old Testament, the, there is no further reference to the Ark of the Covenant. You remember the first time uh, they lose that uh, during uh, the days of Eli at the beginning of First Samuel. After they lose that, uh, one of uh, Samuel's grandchildren is named Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed. Uh, uh, they, they would have believed that without the ark there, God has left us. They would have believed without the ark there, God's glory can't be in our midst. And yet, the Lord promises His glory will be in our, their midst. And we know uh, that the first fulfillment of that is the very coming of Christ. Christ's glory was it, the glory of God in their midst. The Lord had promised uh, that He would visit that temple uh, in the days of Malachi. He promised uh, that His glory would be seen in that temple and the glory of Christ and his earthly ministry was seen in their midst uh, and the Lord has promised he will come again. He will come and establish his kingdom and his glory will be seen in an even greater degree whereas he came in his first coming to be the ransom for the sins of many to lay down his life for those who are lost. John in the book of Revelation gives us the vision of the future when he comes as a conquering king coming to his city to establish his kingdom and his glory will be seen there to an even greater degree in the full fulfillment of verse 5. But again the Lord speaks to His protection of His people going on in verse 8. For thus said the Lord of hosts after His glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of His eye. Uh, The Lord is speaking to His devotion to His people, His love. They are the apple of His eye. His attention is upon Him. Uh, His protection is upon them. And those uh, that have hurt them and those that seek to hurt them will face His just judgment. 
The Lord gives a prophetic call to those that have not yet returned to home. Speaking of how he will provide for them richly in their return home. And think about the condition of those people. It's been 70 years since the exile. Uh, these people the, the, have come back and those that haven't have spent their entire lives living in Babylon. Uh, there might be a hesitance to return home because home really doesn't seem like home to them. Babylon seems like home. Babylon is familiar. Babylon seems safe. But the Lord calls to those who are still in the north, who are still in Babylon. Verse 6, up, up, flee from the land of the Lord, declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, declares the Lord. I have spread you abroad, and now I am calling you to come home. And yet even in Zechariah's day, the people of the Lord still hadn't fully responded. They still hadn't come home. Even in the times of Christ, uh, there were still the scattered tribes of the diaspora. One day, uh, the people, the Jewish people, will hear the voice of God, they will come back to their promised land. Uh, they will be established there, and they will have their faith in the Messiah. You know, th there's a terrible error in Christian, some circles of Christian theology. There are some out there that will say that the church has replaced Israel. But uh, no uh, plain reading of the Old or New Testament can come to that conclusion. When we see what the Lord has to say about His people Israel, we understand that we have been engrafted in and that uh, the Lord still has a plan for Israel. Apostle Paul uh, looks forward to the inclusion and the full salvation of his people. In Romans chapter 11, verse 11, he looks at the hardness of Israel, which is much like uh, the condition of Israel today. Many of uh, those uh, from a Jewish background are actually nominally Jewish. Uh, uh, there are many agnostics and atheists uh, of Jewish descent in our day and age. And Paul asks in Romans 11, in light of the promises of God that he made uh, through prophets like Zechariah, verse 11 of Romans 11, So I asked, did they stumble in order that they may fall? By no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered his first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. 
If you are remembered, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. And then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For the Lord has the power to graft them in again. For if they were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? And the Lord looks, Paul looks on and sees that one day all of Israel will be saved in fulfillment with what the Lord is speaking to Zechariah and his generation here. That the Lord will not forget the gifts and calling he has given to his people. As Paul says in Romans, to them belong the very oracles of God. There there have been some in the history of the Christian church that have attempted to read Zechariah and said, you know, all this is about the church somehow. What the Lord is giving Zechariah is a vision, not just of the church, but his will for his people Israel. The Lord continues on in verse 9, Behold, I will shake my hand over them. That is the nations that have plundered the people of God. And they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come. The Lord is saying he is coming, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord we see the first fulfillment of that. The Lord has come and dwelt in the midst of his people through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. His glory was seen. And because of that, because of his coming, we have a place. Note what the Lord says. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. Because of the Lord's coming to his people in the person of Jesus Christ, because we have attached ourselves to Christ, we have become his people. Any right to a relationship with God only comes through a relationship with Christ. It is only in that we are in Christ that we have become his people. The Lord goes on, and I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. The Lord is promising a provision of a great future for his people, and he, we see how we are to respond to when the Lord works in verse 13. Note, be silent. All flesh before the Lord. For the Lord has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Throughout scripture we see that when God acts in a decisively powerful way, the appropriate response isn't give our applause. The appropriate response isn't how we think we should respond. It is a 
holy and reverential silence. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, the Lord says, Be silent and be still and know that I am the Lord. We think of how the Lord acts in Zechariah's day. We long for the Lord to rouse himself. We long for the Lord to work in mighty, powerful ways in our day. And on Wednesday nights, I'm doing a series on revival. And I've said repeatedly that the greatest need for our country and the greatest need for churches in our country is revival. Um, what is revival but the Lord rousing himself through the personal Holy Spirit, pouring himself and empowering us, uh, giving us greater joy and a uh, greater desire to do his will. When the Lord acts in our day, uh, it won't be a time of grandstanding. We're not going to be patting ourselves on the back well. We're not going to be uh, cheering ourselves on. When the Lord acts in our day, whether it be through the sending of revival or through the sending of his Son, the appropriate reaction will be a silence that reflects our awe of his awesome majesty. You know, there are, uh, you've heard the expression, it takes your breath away. There, there are sights in this world because of their awe and majesty. They put you in perspective and you don't have any words. When the Lord acts, as he is promising to act in the life of his people, there's no words. His action will be enough. Be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Lord is at work. He is at work in the world today. He is at work in the midst. He is working in history. He has sent his Son. His glory has dwelt in the midst of his people. And one day, and we pray that day would come very soon. His son will come again. And the fullness of his glory will dwell in his people. The day has not yet come. We long for the fulfillment of those promises. Uh, while they have been partially fulfilled, we long for the complete fulfillment. We like... a. a John, in his closing of Revelation, we pray for his coming. John uh, writes in Revelation 22, uh, the words of Jesus, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descent of David, the bright morning star, the spirit and the bride. Say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone asks them, God will add to him the place described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life, in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Just as Zechariah's people would have had uh, the protection of the Lord to look to, 
the provision of the Lord that he was going to cause them to be greater than they could imagine, greater than they could think for themselves. We long for the coming of Christ. We do pray that he would revive his work in our times. We pray that he would work in a mighty powerful way in our own generation. We think that in February 3rd, 1970, God worked in a mighty powerful way at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky, uh, leading to the salvations of hundreds and thousands. And we know that the Lord has not gone to sleep. The Holy One of Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers, but sometimes He is more active in the life of His people. Sometimes He is more active in the life of the church. And our great hope, our great need is for the Lord to be active in our lives because what we need is not what we can do for ourselves. The people of Zechariah's generation thought their greatest need was for them to build walls to keep themselves secure, forgetting their history, that they had some of the greatest walls in the history of the world. Their greatest need was for the Lord to be in their midst, to be their fortress, to be their refuge. And we as God's people today, as those engrafted in our greatest need is for the Lord to be in our midst, that we would not grieve his presence because he is present in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and we should desire his filling. We should desire his glory in our midst. We should desire his provision because when his Holy Spirit is at work in our lives uh, through the church, when we have not grieved or questioned the Holy Spirit that has been given to us, The lost are drawn in a mighty powerful way. The Lord's presence in his people was what was to draw the nations to him. What was to draw the people to him. And through the spirit in our lives, we can exalt Christ. We can lift Jesus up uh, through our lives and through our witnesses. And as Jesus says in John chapter 3, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And so we do hope that the Lord would be active in our lives. We can do a lot of things without the Lord stirring himself in our body and in our midst. We could have a good crowd of people here without the Lord stirring in our midst. You know, we could auction, we could have a raffle for a free car. Everyone gets a ticket that attends. And we could have a full church next Sunday. Uh, We could give out $100 of bills and we couldn't fill the church. We couldn't have enough room for the people that would come for that. Or we could do, do a lot of things without the Lord, but we will have nothing done of eternal significance. While the people of the Lord are building, the Lord is reminding them it is his work that is first and foremost. That if he is not the one working, it is in vain, as the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And the Lord is reminding his people in the midst of their rebuilding that he is their protector. He is their provider. And when he works in their midst as he has promised to do, they're not going to applaud themselves uh, on their great construction project. They are going to be in silence of the awesome majesty of God. And I, I pray for the day that we are silent before the awesome majesty of God. And that he has worked in us in a mighty powerful way. I'm going to come to a time of invitation. And I tell you, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, 
God's word says that you are without hope and without God. Outside a relationship with Jesus, if you have not repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus, the one whom God has made Lord and Savior, you have no protection. In fact, uh, the wrath of God hovers over you. Paul says in Romans chapter 2 that uh, we presume on the kindness of God, forgetting that it was meant to lead to our repentance. All the comfortable words that God speaks to us in his word are for us to run to him, run from sin, flee from sin, and flee to Christ. And I tell you this morning, if you have not run to Christ this morning, you need to do that now because either you will die and you do not know the day or hour of your death. The Lord has numbered your days as the hairs on your head. You could walk out the very doors of this church and drop dead as you leave or the sun could come. Uh, Jesus says concerning his return, no one knows the time, no one knows the day or the hour except for the Father. We do not know when he will come in the fullness of his glory to reign in the midst of his people, but I tell you, it will be too late for you then. So I encourage you to place your faith in him now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, do pray uh, that if there are any in here or amidst you who have not trusted in Christ, uh, that they would accept him as their Lord and Savior, that they would unite themselves to him through faith, and that they would be your people, uh, that they would see uh, w- what a dangerous position they are in as they stand unforgiven with their sins hanging upon them, that would drag them further than the grave and drag them into the very pits of hell. Father, for those of us who are your people, we do long for the day when you would work in a mighty, powerful way as you have worked in your church in ages past. You would be active through your spirit in our lives. That we would be so enamored with your love that we would be in silent awe of how you have loved us and how you have pardoned us and brought us to yourself through your Son, that you would send a great revival to us. For this we pray in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.